1: This afternoon, the House elected a new speaker. Finally.
2: Mike <laughs> Johnson.
1: 220 Republicans voted to make Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana their leader.
2: Therefore, the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana, having received a majority of the votes cast, is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives for the 118th Congress.
1: That's right. A relatively unknown Republican from Louisiana who's only been in Congress since 2017 is now in charge of setting the legislative agenda for the House, helping the country navigate some of its thorniest issues, and is second in line for the presidency. So, um, you're probably asking yourself, who exactly is Mike Johnson? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, October 25th. Today, say hello to the new Speaker of the House. Post-columnist Philip Bump tells me more about the man leading the House now and why it took Republicans this long to finally pick a leader. All right, Phil, we're going to talk about everything, who this person is, how we got to this point, but am I crazy for being like, who is this congressman? Like, how just unknown is he?
2: Well, I think a good measure of how unknown he is is the fact that when senators were asked about the prospect of his being elected speaker this morning, several of them were like, well, you know what, let me Google him and get back to you, right? This is a guy who's... Not very well known on Capitol Hill, uh, much less to Americans at large. He has perhaps the most possible generic name that exists in the United States. There are all these factors that come into play. In addition to the fact that, you know, he's someone who's always just sort of been in the background. You know, beyond for uh, something we'll talk about here, I'm sure, which is his his efforts to help Donald Trump overturn the 2020 election. Beyond that, he is not one of these legislators who uh, has gone out of his way to make a name for himself.
1: Yeah, I definitely do want to talk about that. Um, First, Phil, let's just step back and remember how we got to this point. I mean, this is ground we've covered well here on Post Reports, but just to remind all of us, the House has had no speaker since Kevin McCarthy was ousted more than three weeks ago by a handful of far-right members of Congress. What have Republicans been doing since then to pick a new speaker?
2: Um, Everything in their power, Uh, they have been holding a number of internal votes to try and identify who the person might be that their caucus can organize around earlier this month mm-hmm. uh, McCarthy to his surprise gets ousted and immediately then the Republican caucus the majority in the House needs to figure out who their leader's going to be uh, so they start having these internal conversations and they settle on Steve Scalise uh, majority of the people in the Republican caucus say okay Scalise is going to be our guy uh, Scalise very quickly though discovers that he too is going to face a lot of opposition from just enough people. I mean, remember, this is a majority that is razor thin. They only have a nine-vote edge in the House. Uh, so y- if you lose five of those votes, all of a sudden you're, you're losing, right? So he can only lose five people. Only five people can, can pledge not to support his candidacy. And it becomes clear that he's going to lose that. Uh, so then the next person in line is Jim Jordan of Ohio. Jim Jordan goes through the same process. Jim Jordan, though, actually brings it to a floor vote. And this time, it's not the right-wing fringe, but the less conservative aspect that stands up and opposes him. Hmm. Jim Jordan has three votes. All of them are failures. And so the next thing we do, we have to start the process over. Right? again. So that's what we did this week. Now that's two weeks of elapsed. But finally this week, they come back. They have another set of votes, and they decide. We have our guy, Tom Emmer, of Oklahoma. <laughs> Instantaneously, Donald okay. Trump says, we don't like this guy. We don't like Tom Emmer. He's a rhino, yada, yada, yada. He gets deep six. And then finally, everyone's like, how about Mike Johnson? Last night, everyone's like, fine, Mike Johnson. Today, they hold the vote. Fine, Mike Johnson. Welcome, Speaker Mike Johnson.
1: This, like, fine Mike Johnson vibe. <laughs> um, so, so it sounds like what you're saying is that in the 11th hour, it was, you know, it was trying to walk this line between moderates who were opposed to uh, Jim Jordan and then in the 11th hour with this other person, it was Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, who did not like him. And so now we have Mike Johnson. So how did Mike Johnson emerge as triumphant?
2: Yeah, the, the, that's exactly right. That that again, because this is a very narrow majority. Of the Republicans hold it doesn't take a big caucus of opposition in order to, to, to spike stuff. And if you actually look at the distribution of ideology from less to more conservative in the Republican caucus, uh, or the vote that each member's district took in 2020, Mike Johnson <laughs> actually sits just about squarely in the middle of the entire caucus. He sits about halfway between McCarthy and Jordan. He sits, you know, between those two poles of the the fringe right and the less conservative ones who, who helped block Jordan, you know, by any objective analysis, he's a very deeply conservative person. He's probably going to be the most ideologically conservative House speaker in recent memory, if not in the history of the United States House. But for his caucus, he was agreeable to both sides. And so both sides came around and supported him.
1: Yeah, so tell me more about him. What is he most well-known for? And tell me more about his
2: politics. Now he's most known for, and beyond being elected speaker, since no one knew anything about him, the people who are learning about him, that's the first thing you're going to learn. The second thing they're going to learn is that he had a very active role in trying to subvert the 2020 election. He got a bunch of House legislators to sign on to a lawsuit that Texas had brought in order to try and block the results from a number of Biden-winning states. He then subsequently helped lead the charge to block those electors on January 6th. Madam Speaker, we have a solemn responsibility today. We must vote to sustain objections to states of electors. And, you know, I mean, it's important to recognize that he's, he was not anomalous, that, that even now, even after the 2022 election, when a bunch of people left the Congress and joined Congress, most of the Republicans in the House voted to overturn the electors from Arizona or Pennsylvania or both. It's the primary reason. It's one of the reasons why the election of 2020 became riddled with an unprecedented number of serious allegations of fraud and irregularities all over the country. And so he was not alone in that. But Johnson was very proud of the role that he played in trying to get other legislators first to sign on to the Samicus brief and then second to uh, reject the electors. And I think that, you know, after the fact that he won the speakership today, that's the thing that most Americans are going to know about him uh, firsthand.
1: Mm -hmm. And it also sounds like he's quite conservative.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's a lawyer, uh, which is not uncommon on Capitol Hill, but he worked for a lot of far-right organizations. He worked for an organization that was uh, focused on blocking access to abortion. He is someone who has made a name for himself in conservative legal circles to some extent by virtue of the work that he's done. So he comes to Capitol Hill with this background of advocacy on far-right issues and causes.
1: Is it possible that the fact he wasn't so well-known somehow helped him? become speaker. Like, he wasn't this, you know, fire rod of a person. I know there was a lot of external pressure on around the speaker vote and conservative media, did he sort of fly under the radar and that this happened so quickly, it almost, did it help him?
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely an aspect of it. It did happen very quickly, which meant there wasn't going to be a campaign of the type that Jim Jordan launched to try and, you know, cajole people into taking a certain action. There wasn't even really a lot of time for people out in the world to start, you know, tweeting or getting on social media or or act, agitating either, you know, organically or, or as part of organizations, for or against his bid. And so, you know, this anonymity, if you will, obviously he knows a lot of people in the Capitol, but uh, this fact that he isn't well known, that there wasn't a lot of organizing around him, and that it happened very quickly before this sort of thing could come to attention, uh, I think you're right, worked to his benefit.
1: So tell me about the moment when Republicans sort of unveiled Mike Johnson as their guy. So there was a press conference last
2: night. Good night. There, there were no votes against. And then by this time, it's been three weeks in. They're finally happy. They have someone that they think can do it. They're a little punch drunk. I mean, you can sort of tell when you, when you look at it. They're just sort of, mm-hmm. you know, laughing and having fun. And so he, you know, he makes his case. Democracy is messy sometimes, but it is our system. This conference that you see, this House Republican majority is united. Is united. Yeah. But then there's this moment when there was a question posed by a reporter from ABC News, and she asked him about his response to the 2020 election. It's sort of jovial, but it still is striking. <laughs> you know, that the, the guy who's being identified as, as the, the leader of the Republican Party in the House you know, one of the first things that occurs is he's asked about a controversial decision—a decision rooted in vote counting, which, of course, is one of the main jobs the speaker has to organize and, you know, working with the whip. And his response is to try and blow it off, not answer the question, and to do so from the protective bubble of his caucus. I think it was a really, really telling moment.
1: Yeah, what was it telling you?
2: Well, I mean, as a reminder, first of all, of the role that Donald Trump has played in shaping Republican politics. Right, the fact that. This was an issue at all, that there was this push from Trump to try and stop Joe Biden from being recognized as the winner of 2020. Of course, has been driving a lot of Republican politics since uh, and certainly is a defining issue uh, for Johnson. The fact that Donald Trump was the one who played a probably the most important individual role in, in tanking Emmer's bid for the speakership yesterday. I mean, you know, he was speaker-designate for four hours and, until he sort of ran into the Donald Trump buzzsaw. Uh, that too is a, is a mark of of how powerful Donald Trump is. But it's also almost metaphorical, you know, that he's, he's surrounded by this bubble of agreement on this controversial issue in the same way that the Republican Party broadly is surrounded by a bubble of agreement from Donald Trump supporters and from right-wing media and Fox News. You know, that too is a bubble that protects those legislators from having to answer questions about this very serious issue. And so then we had this microcosm of that exact effect coming into play last night at a moment when this person is being presented as the person who second in line to the presidency.
1: After the break, what the future of the house could look like under Speaker Johnson. We'll be right back.
0: In-laws. Love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What has Johnson
1: said about the way he would approach the speakership? Has Has he said much at all? What do we know?
2: I mean, he had sort of general terms, sort of a general description of what it was that he wanted to do when he was at this press conference last night. But, you know, again, when uh, Jordan's bid failed at the end of last week, there were nine people who put their names forward. There have been internal pitches that were made by uh, the legislators to their peers as each of them was trying to get this mantle of speaker-designate, which is where the majority of the caucus says, we want this person to be our our speaker candidate, you know, theoretically. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you know, this is not someone who really was aligned with the leadership roles of the Republican caucus. So it's hard to say. You know, I'm sure he made some case that was sufficiently compelling to his caucus. Obviously, he did. He he got that nod. But I don't know that he has an extensive record of speaking in public about the way in which he would approach this very, very challenging and intricate job.
1: Yeah, he's only been in Congress since 2017. And Congress has all of these large, massive, important matters before it. There's a possible government shutdown. There's a deadline for that next month. Does this look like a unified Republican caucus to you that can get things passed?
2: You no, know, I mean, the, the Republican caucus in House hasn't looked unified to me since, I don't know, when John Boehner was speaker, maybe, right? You know, until John Boehner left. Many speakers ago. (laughs) It's been a while, right? I I made a joke on what used to be called Twitter that this is the first time that my son, who's in first grade, has been alive and during which time the Republicans have had one vote to elect a House Speaker, right? This is is just (laughs) not the pattern that has existed. So yeah, this is a rare moment of comedy within the caucus itself. Uh, I think it will last until there is any sort of vote which is at all controversial and allows the fringe right members of the caucus to preen and peacock on Fox News, which could be tomorrow.
1: Phil, the fact that this all just took so long and it was a torturous process to get a speaker and then they landed on Mike Johnson. Do you have any other big takeaway from that and what will be the next thing you'll be looking out for?
2: I don't know that I have a takeaway besides for the fact that the Republican Party is more fragmented, I think, than it might have seemed during the McCarthy era, right? McCarthy had been leader for quite some time. He eventually ascended to the speaker role, albeit after all of these votes, Uh, And I think that there was sort of this assumption that okay, at least they could still function. I think that assumption has sort of gone out the window. You know, maybe Speaker Johnson will sit on top of this new era of friendship and everyone getting along. You know, it's hard to imagine House Republicans singing Kumbaya, but who knows, or perhaps very quickly he'll be tested. And, you know, there are funding issues that are urgently needed to be addressed. Uh, there are any number of international crises that the House doesn't have a whole lot of role in dealing with, but, you know, may may trigger some need uh, for funding or some other uh, statement of support. There are a lot of things coming down the Pike, which are sort of definitionally going to be contentious. And we will see if this person who doesn't have any leadership experience in this way uh, is able to navigate the the twin poles of his party.
1: Well, Phil, thanks so much for joining us as we all, you know, watch and see what else comes out about the new Speaker of the House.
2: Uh, Of course. My pleasure.
1: Philip Bump is a national columnist for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh. It was mixed by Sam Baer and edited by Rena Flores. We have some exciting news to share about Washington Post subscriptions and audio. If you're already a Washington Post subscriber, you can now get access to Washington Post podcasts ad free in Apple Podcasts. And there are more audio perks around the corner. So connect your post subscription in Apple Podcasts and stay tuned for more subscriber-only audio benefits, like exclusive and early access episodes to our new investigative podcast series, The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop. Those episodes come out weekly, every Wednesday. But if you're a subscriber, you can get those episodes two days early, on Mondays. If you're not a subscriber yet to The Washington Post, this is a great time to start. You can get access to all the Washington Post has to offer. And now you'll also get ad-free podcasts and more premium audio perks. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or by following the link in our show notes. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more
0: stories from The Washington Post. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022,